If you're looking for episode six of The Exchange, presented by OM Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey, you're in the right place. I'm Mike Ferguson. Episode six is the first of a two-part episode, and this time the topic is quality assurance and cupping for the coffee roaster. In part one, Mark and Todd talk about the nuts and bolts of how and why roasters should be cupping coffee. So without further ado, and before the coffee cools, here they are, Mark and Todd. Good evening and welcome to The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. I'm Mark Inman, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Todd Mackey. Todd, how are you? I'm doing well, Mark. It's nice to uh, to join you this evening for a special uh, nighttime edition here. Um, yeah, this is a uh, recording for our first time. Uh, it's 7 p.m. here on the West Coast, and it's a little over 10 out there on the East Coast. Uh, so the um, intro to the what's in your cup is a little bit different tonight. I, I'm assuming you did not brew a, a pot of coffee for the show. No, no, actually. And, and I don't have a cup. I, I actually don't have a glass, uh, but I do have a 16 ounce can. And uh, I'll tell you what I'm drinking. I have hmm. uh, a limited run beer from Treehouse Brewing up here in Massachusetts called Eureka, which is actually... An American blonde style ale, they call it, brewed with citra hops, mm-hmm. um, relatively low ABV, uh, what is probably most akin to a session beer from from these guys, if anyone's familiar, um, mm. but super juicy, crushable, sweet. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, what do you have Very going? Nice. Well, being out here in the wine country, I'm having a glass of uh, Nico is the brand, Nico uh, Cannonau, which is the Italian uh, version of uh, Grenache. Um, this is from a small producer, very small producer here in Healdsburg that only uh, produces Italian varieties. And he's uh, like uh, you with the beer. It's a lower alcohol European style uh, to the wine, so you could drink uh quite a bit without getting bombed compared to the usually higher alcohol wines out here in Sonoma County, which can be, you know, between 14 and 17% alcohol. This is uh, quite a bit lower. Right on. Well, what did yeah. you drink earlier today? If we can uh, remember back that far. Yeah, I was drinking <laughs> uh new crop uh, Tanobatox and, um, there was one more that I had that I really liked. Oh, some uh, El Salvador Pacamaras that I actually um, liked quite a bit. Nice. So, um, yeah, awesome. yeah, I kind of had a lot of coffee today. Yeah. No, I had a uh, a coffee, uh, one of the, the lots we landed on the East Coast, uh, actually from Limpira in Honduras, a producer called uh, Juan Francisco Lopez. This mm-hmm. is just a single farm, uh, Katura, Katuai lot that... Um, yeah, just super dense chocolate notes, some toffee, caramel, very sweet, balanced. Very nice. Uh, as we mentioned in the last episode, uh, if you want to email us with suggestions, comments, questions, uh, or you want to send in your coffee for Todd and I to review, you can do so at the exchange at olamnet.com. That's O-L-A-M-N-E-T. Com. Last episode, we were giving out a different email address, and I, I don't know what happened, but some of the worst dubbing 
I thought I was in an Ultraman <laughs> movie. Over our polished and talented voices, uh, it was just an atrocity. So That's crazy. The exchange at Olam. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought we had a huge budget for that sort of thing. Did did we not get that extension? We couldn't bring in a professional? I, I, I'm assuming maybe we had an intern or uh, an aspiring <laughs> radio student. I have no idea how that played out. Uh, because it certainly wasn't the way you and I sound normally. Um, yeah, well, everyone should reach out and let us know what they think uh, yeah. <laughs> by the exchange at olamnet.com, please. Yeah, and we'll be reading your uh, emails on air, answering your questions, and adding uh, or uh, making alterations if you have outright complaints about the way we've been running this show. <laughs> but how could you, really? I mean, it's Todd and I. Oh, let us know what you think. Sure. Uh, tonight, we're going to be unpacking QA, quality assurance, quality control. Um, and I'm excited for this one. This is a part of what we do, uh, having worked full time in the lab in, in my past. And, you know, obviously a huge part of trading is, mm. you know, cupping and being close to quality management. Um, but I'm sure you feel the same. I, I guess to kick it off and to just dive right in, I, I thought it might be good to kind of give a wrap on, uh, you know, what is QA and and mm -hmm. why it matters. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, you can give us good insights from your days uh, from the, the roasting side, Mark, and we can certainly sure. talk about what it means for Olam Specialty Coffee. Well, I'll, I guess I'll get started. Uh, quality assurance or quality control from a roasting standpoint, uh, I think plays uh, two crucial roles. One is uh, it's a tool to help you buy coffee and regulate the coffees that you're buying, keep them in check throughout the year. And secondly, it's to evaluate coffees that you're going to be selling, and that could be through production roasting and therefore uh, cupping also to come up with marketing terminology uh, for that coffee. I think that in that scenario, in both scenarios, they're, they're serving two different purposes and have to be looked at uh, two different ways when you're, when you're evaluating coffees in that manner. But from a buying perspective, uh, it's key. I think what makes me nervous as a trader is when I have clients tell me, uh, I want to buy the best Colombian. What do you got? And the question is, the best for what? And how are you using it? And then they said, well, I'll just trust your opinion. And with, which that to me is a very, very scary road to go down. Not that there's any problem with trusting my opinion, but... Um, I'm not your company. I don't necessarily know uh, what you're going to be doing with that coffee, how you're going to roast it, what type of machine you're roasting on, what you're actually looking for in the profile. And um, and it's it's necessary that that person learns how to cup. And usually it comes from they're new or they're inexperienced and they don't want to admit they don't know how to do it, uh, which I have always felt rather silly because we all started that way. And, and there should be no shame in saying, hey, what, what's the best way to set up a quality control program or how do you do it? You know, I'm just entering this and being okay with that um, rather than just asking me to build your entire product line for you and hope that, you know, my taste matched yours. Sure. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, I've always said, you know, partially joking, but, but rooted in seriousness that there is no best, right? I mean, we're talking right. about uh, target, not target in so many cases, even in the upper tier of quality. Um, you know, so when we get into to quality assurance, quality control, these different, you know, uh, pinch points, if you will, throughout, uh, you know, a roaster's process purchasing through distribution, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we really have different um, different considerations to make. You know, depending on where they are, who they're selling to, uh, what kinds of uh, economic pressures on the on the purchasing side or on the sales side exist, uh, and so on and so forth. So. You know, it's not as easy as well. You know, what tickled you pink at the at the cupping table? As much right. as you know, you're talking about well, what's the most appropriate you know business decision here? You know that that said, uh, you know, being able to to create a program where you can define quality tiers and what works for those uh, those profiles, avatars, and or um, you know, sort of quality levels uh, can be super helpful um, when you can build that calibration slowly, surely over time, you know, with, with uh, your traders, people that you're doing business with, uh, both, um, you know, here uh, in the U.S., um, if you're based here or, you know, wherever you're located, all the way through to the origin countries you're sourcing from. Obviously, it's critical. It's, it's interesting, I, you know, thinking about what, what, why quality matters so much. I mean, we've already sort of gotten into it over the course of the last uh, five uh, episodes. Um, you know, when we talk about managing quality, communicating quality, um, you know, blending for quality, uh, restricting quality for the sake of value, all of these different things. But, um, you know, here we obviously want to take a more practical approach mm-hmm. and actually talk about, you know, well, where do you start? Say your, you know, first day on the job. What's the very most basic setup uh, in terms of creating a lab? Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, where would you recommend someone to begin, sure. um, you know, whether as a roaster or someone who's working, you know, even at Origin trying to set up a, a more primitive lab um, that can really get the basics done? I mean, what, what do you think are the most critical pieces, um, both in material and practice day one? Well, I think the the biggest pieces of equipment, obviously, are the roaster and the grinder. Um, everything else is relatively inexpensive to put together. And I think that's the one area where a lot of roasters have a hard time spending the amount of money that you need to spend uh, on that equipment. They, you know, they spend a lot of money on their production roaster, uh, vans, and espresso machine for your lab, and then they get around to the sample roaster and they are like, oh my gosh, you know what, what can I buy that saves me money? And I don't think you necessarily have to go crazy and, and buy, you know, a top of the line roaster. Um, but I do think you need to buy a roaster that's appropriate for the amount of samples you're going to be tasting each week. You know, someone like Tom Owen from Sweet Maria's espoused for years about the wonders of the uh, $5 garage sale air popcorn popper and how you can get a decent roast off that popcorn popper and has proved that numerous times. And that's an awesome tool if you're only doing a handful of samples a week. If you're doing 20 a day or even 10 a day, that roaster is not going to stand the test of time. It's going to fail relatively quickly, even if you have a backlog of 20 of these uh, air poppers in your garage. Um, in that case, you're going to need to invest in something a little bit better. I also think that the roaster itself needs to mimic the uh, production roaster that you have. So if you're roasting on a hybrid roaster like a Loring, a fluid roaster like a Niehaus Neatech, or a drum roaster, the sample roaster should mirror that type of roasting style. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have uh, a hybrid roaster like a Loring and then have a drum roaster like a Probat because the taste is going to be 
very different. And I get that question a lot from folks. Like I, I'm buying this machine, what type of roaster? And and they're often surprised at the suggestions I give for equipment because they're not expect they're expecting to hear, you know, your typical uh, barrel roasters that are out there on the market, and that may not be appropriate for the type of machine they have. As far as grinders go, I think you could get away with any basic workhorse grinder as long as it's accurate and it's grinding. I don't think you need to get a very very high quality precision grinder because you're not doing espresso. Um, uh, so you know a lot of the workhorse brands that are out there. Uh, you know, Bun, for example, the G2 is a is a great classic workhorse grinder, and and with the burrs that will last uh, a very long time. And obviously, you can you can go up from there. Uh, it, but it's and to me, in that particular situation, it's not necessary as long as the grinder's clean and the burrs are sharp. It's going to work just fine. And then um, depending on the protocol that you like to use for your cupping, either the SCAA form or the um, the cup of excellence form a lot of people like to use um you know it, it doesn't really matter i used to use back in the day a, a colombian coffee federation quick form uh, i thought that that was quite useful um, i think that that, that part uh, just depends on what your style is uh, as long as you're being consistent with that style Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and I mean, name of the game with equipment is maintenance, right? So, absolutely. Um, you know, so much of of having good equipment is is maintaining good working order for this stuff. Like you mentioned, with the 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 bun grinder being a perfectly uh, respectable tool, you know, classic, price accessible, um, yeah. and if it's maintained, you know, it's it's just gonna crush for you, you know, week after week, month after month. Yeah. Um, one thing I didn't hear you mention, which is interesting, and uh, maybe just an oversight. I know as the years go on, these things kind of <laughs> trickle out, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but like uh, water treatment, I didn't hear you mention oh. anything about dealing with water. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like um, I know it's it's one of the? I mean, it, obviously paramount in terms of how it affects coffee's yes. profile and taste. Um, but one of those things that, you know, some people care about, some people don't, some people actually look at it, you know, more like uh, winemakers, brewers, distillers might where, mm-hmm. you know, water is actually sort of a part of, you know, the inherent unique qualities uh, of how they might choose and then present their coffees and wherever they're located. Um, what do you think from a lab standpoint, you know, the basic threshold sh- should be for water quality? Well, I think... In your lab, your water should be filtered. I mean, I'm hoping that your water line running into the building has a good filtration system that's appropriate for brewing coffee because you also have the espresso machine uh, to deal with as well. I think that if you don't have a a large roasting warehouse or if you're roasting in a small warehouse or or your garage, you know, just good filtered water will get you by. Um, I don't think you should. I knew people that were mixing distilled water and and filtered water, I, I've never really understood the logic behind that. You can go as crazy as, as doing uh, what's, I'm trying to think of the product that's out now. It's like... Um, third wave water. Yeah, yeah, third wave or, water. Or Global Customized Water does a uh, remineralization packet as well. And they've done that yeah. for a long time. Yeah, you can go that route. But I think a good filtered water will get you by just fine. Uh, you know, when you travel to origin, I mean... Filtered water is, you know, bottled water is about as good as it's going to get. And the reality is, is that most of your consumers that are going to be brewing this product, especially when you're talking about production cupping here, they're not going to be using necessarily uh, good filtered water or treated water. 
And so you need to also taste the coffee from that standpoint as well. Uh, if you live, you know, if you're selling your coffee in your market, you might want a cup using the tap water uh, every once in a while, just so you understand how a good portion of your clients are going to actually be experiencing that coffee. Um, I think it's great to, you know, to work in a vacuum, but it's also important, uh, you know, and also I've always, you know, been a proponent of um, production brewing uh, where you uh, brew and, and taste with, with cream, with sugar, as well as black, because people, most people are drinking coffee with cream and sugar, and you want to see how that coffee reacts in that environment as well. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, we should note just for, for those who might be setting up a more elaborate lab, which, you know, ultimately a few years down the road to, to have a good espresso setup, mm-hmm. um, you know, nice equipment uh, for brewing coffee a myriad of ways, you know, exactly how you might put it out over the bar in your cafe or how you might, um, you know, sort of hope and, and, uh, and aspire to have your wholesale customers brew it. Um, if you're going to be hooking up equipment like this, you certainly want at bare minimum to have a nice particulate filter without, um, a doubt. you know, yeah. for things like, uh, jeeklers that are going to, you know, take a grain of sand that's in the water and, and all of a sudden you have an obstruction, uh, in the flow restriction, you know, that pressurizes the machine. So, you know, obviously a, a big thing there. I know in the Northeast, we have uh, high chloride content in the water, just given mm. the uh, the proximity to the ocean and the stone um, out here. And, uh, you know, treating that as good for, for uh, longevity for espresso machines and, and hot water boilers alike. Um, you know, so that's, that's something good, but, but I, I tend to agree with you. I know, um, you know, there's long been a, a lab standard, um, you know, by the association that, uh, you know, sort of says, well, here's the perfect water, mm-hmm. um, you know, by total dissolved solids, but, you know, ultimately we're not specifying really what the composition of those solids is. And, and that's where, uh, you know, the real impact on flavor is. So, a basic approach, you know, clean, odor-free, clear water. That's a, a, a great place to start, I feel like. Yeah. Right on. So, I mean, obviously we jumped in and, and to sort of zoom out for a moment, you know, we're mm-hmm. talking right out of the gate. The, the most important thing to do is to, to you know, be able to roast samples, uh, understand the effects of, of whatever roasting process uh, or equipment that you do choose for your sampling uh, has on the flavor profile. Mm-hmm. And then of course, you know, all for the purpose of cupping, right? You know, you're roasting right. as sort of a precursor to the cupping process. Yeah. Clearly, you know, we're saying with that, that cupping is the most important sorting in the quality process for the purpose of specialty coffee. Would you agree? Uh, and for you, you know, what is cupping meant? I guess, you know, I, there's there's a lot of people out there, um, you know, who struggle to find the time to cup um, or don't have maybe the space allocated in their roastery to, you know, either really evaluate the coffees that they're buying before they pick them up, you know, uh, which we can certainly support on. But mm-hmm. but also, you know, they're not getting to cup uh, or taste, brew, you know, adulterate, taste all ways the coffees that they're putting out to their their guests and customers. Um, you know, I guess I'd be curious to hear sort of your full rundown on on mm-hmm. how important you feel like cupping as a process is to you know the business around specialty coffee. I mean, it, it's it's paramount. It's uh, it would be like having a restaurant and not tasting your own food, or you know, winemakers not tasting their wines. They just 
you just can't produce and pump it out there. It, it would be a complete crapshoot on your end um, because lots of things happen in coffee that um, that just are a part of the process. I mean, potato defect, you know, is a prime example. It, it happens uh, even if the samples, the pre-ship samples, the arrival samples cup totally clean, you can have that one you know, weird little bean that gets in there and affects a batch. And if you're not picking that up in your production cupping, you're putting out an extremely inferior product uh, that may be falling into the hands of the next great client you want or the next you know group of customers that you're really wanting to lure. You could also taste when coffees are starting to fade or get tired or understand the life cycle of it. For me, cup, uh, cuppings, uh, it, it needs to be a priority in your business uh, just as much as your your roasting facility in general, uh, your production facility needs to be there. It's a tool for buying. It's a tool when you get into blending coffee. It's a um, a tool for your, your production, you know, the, the life cycle of the coffee. And it's also a key tool for education of your customers. I, I think that if you've ever done... Uh, educational cuppings, customers love it. It's an absolute treat for them. It's an exercise that they don't get uh, in other aspects of their life. And it shows them that you're very serious about what you do, that this is something that has science behind it. It is not purely an artistic pursuit. Um, there are, uh, you know, I, I love the, the moment of education where people say, well, I don't really have a palate. You know, I don't know good coffee from bad, or I can't, you know, this idea of, you know, lemon notes or berry that I hear, I, I'm, I'll never taste that. And to prove them wrong within an hour and show them, oh, wow, that is what berry tastes like. And, oh, that is this lemon that they're talking about and opening their minds. It, it makes them fans of you permanently. Um, and it's much more powerful than an advertisement or a, um, a demo in a store. It's much more personal, but it gets you that long-term client that we all desperately want in the coffee industry. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I always go back to this, uh, this saying that was shared with me, um, what feels like my first day in the door in specialty coffee. And uh, it was learn to cup, then cup to learn. And I feel like mm -hmm. for me, that's always been a truth. Uh, right. You know, so many of the, the, you know, hypotheses that, you know, the things I'm thinking, the things I'm curious about, I've been able to essentially apply scientific method by isolating one variable, one question at the cupping table. Right. Um, you know, is this coffee different because of its variety? Is this coffee different because of its roast profile? Is this coffee different because, uh, you know, the aspect of, uh, you know, where the farm sits in this particular, you know, mountain range, for example, all right. of these questions can can be answered from a sensory standpoint at the cupping table, um, which allows you to be a student. But of course, to your point, you know, all of a sudden you're opening up this this opportunity for people who. Um, you know, might be a little further behind you on the road uh, to to have doors open for them as well. You know, you're kind of making a, a way for people to have the light bulb turned on, which um, is incredibly transformative and becomes endearing, you know, indefinitely, which is awesome. Sure, sure. Um, so, yeah, my, I mean, my recommendation with a lab is always, you know, when someone is building out a roaster, even a really simple uh, I think of like, you know, the first spot any roaster has some garage, garage door, walk up mm -hmm. type of 
you know, a thousand square feet, if that. And, um, you know, and they're trying to think about, you know, how to how to have a lab or, you know, how to have somewhere that they can actually taste their coffees. Right. My recommendation is always, well, you know, you need that space. Make it easy to cup. Right. You know, make it easy to cup, because if it's not easy, you're not going to do it. And, uh, you know, so if, you know, you have a break table and that doubles as your desk and that doubles as the packing table and, you know, to cup once a week, you've got to clear that thing off of, you know, six inches of papers and materials and all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, it's, it's quickly going to fall out the bottom. You know, you're not going to be checking in on your finished roasted coffee qualities. Mm -hmm. You're going to find it really hard to sustain you know, having a regular uh, sampling program when push comes to shove and, and like any small business owner, you know, you're just, uh, you know, burning the candle at both ends to get things done day to day. You know, that extra effort is not going to come out or it's certainly going to be, uh, you know, a begrudging task. So make make the the process of cupping, you know, give it a place, make it easy, uh, make it enjoyable because, you know, I agree it's totally central. Yeah, absolutely. And it it could be as simple as, you know, a, a plywood, a sheet of plywood and sawhorses when you're done roasting, you set it up and you do it when it's quiet in the warehouse and you you get people involved. It 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 does have to be something that is easy, clean, uh inviting. It can't be a hassle to get to. If it's in the corner, you know, with all your other stuff, uh you're going to it's you're going to overlook it and you're going to make excuses not to do it every day and it would it will be a crucial mistake if you don't do that. Yeah. And you know, I think of how non-romantic cupping once is, but once you gather like like any data collection, right? You know, it's there's no romance at all until you have a bank of information that you can see themes in, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you can't cup and have it be a part of essentially the the process um you know and the, and the schedule week to week you know you're never going to have enough data to stand back and actually make decisions on um you know to see how products trend and how your process affects um your your product and and you know what you're you know opening the doors for and and sending out you know once it's done um but to that point and to kind of shift the touch mm-hmm. when you're thinking small company you know just getting started. I mean, what is an appropriate kind of, you know, amount of cupping? How, you know, when would you say, how would you say to approach cupping? How often, mm-hmm. um, you know, when to schedule it in? I mean, any, any pointers that you typically give for something like that? Well, if you're cupping for buying, it's, it's when you're, you have uh, leeway, uh, some time prior to the need of coffee. So, if it's spot coffee you're buying, uh, you have a time to at least a week ahead to cup you know, all of the samples that you get, uh, to make that fill. If it's something you're buying from origin to ship and, and to arrive, you need to give yourself a a significant window of time to get that done. If you're doing it for blending purposes, how you're going to do that, that would be, you know, I, I, I like to do that in a team exercise to have a handful of people involved in that, uh, because the, the, the feedback, the input is important. And production cupping should be happening uh, at least once a day, uh, well, at least once a day to at least once a week uh, to cup your production roast. It can be spot checking if you want to, but I think that if you have the ability to do so, it should be every batch that goes out 
specifically to check consistency of that of that product as well as spotting any defects that may come through that are taste defects that you're not going to see um, that to me is, is a crucial one because you know some of these defects are are nasty and they will uh, affect your reputation if you don't catch them for sure let's say you're let's say you're a real, you know, simple operation today. You roast, mm-hmm. let's say, two days a week. Let's say your production yeah. is Monday and Wednesday. You're shipping on Tuesday and Thursday. Um, you know, where do you see a, a production cupping protocol, uh, you know, chronologically in that process? Where do you see that happening? Um, for the Monday coffees, is it first thing Tuesday morning before everything gets packed? Or, you know, if, is everything packed? Uh, if or if everything is packed on Monday afternoon, you've pulled samples, and before things leave Tuesday, you're essentially allowing yourself, you know, a, a moment to pull coffees back if there's you know something yeah. actionable on yeah. the table. Yeah. Um, is it something you know more nuanced where you know come week's end you cup everything and you cross your fingers that you don't find anything and <laughs> have to call to explain before yeah, you, you know, customer X that. breaks into a bag or what do yeah. you think? Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, you're you know you're roasting on Monday, cupping Tuesday morning, starting your packing right after the you know the coffee's past muster. I think that that's great. You know, maybe leave Fridays for uh, your buying. You know, your cupping for buying coffees you're looking at. If you if you're buying weekly or if you're buying monthly, at least allowing one day a week that's solely for the purpose of you know buying coffee uh, cupping. And, you know, on the production side, that's also a good window to do cupping for marketing purposes, which, again, is a different purpose and different language should be used in that type of cupping. But you you could, uh, at that point, make additional notes that I, you know, personally feel don't belong on a a normal evaluation form, uh, but are, are clearly used for marketing purposes. On the off chance that you've forgotten where you are and what you're doing, you've been listening to The Exchange, presented by Olin Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey, directed by Mike Ferguson. In fact, you were listening to Episode 6, a two-part episode on quality assurance and cupping for coffee roasters, which explains why we interrupted Mark just before he started talking about one of his pet peeves at the cupping table. That's for Episode 7. Our opening theme was Coffee After 6 by Creep Boom. Our closing theme, 7th Coffee After 5 by Tomas Werbicki. There's a high degree of probability that I didn't pronounce that name correctly, but I've made up for it by the fact that our opening and closing themes are both songs about drinking coffee late in the day. Not quite a hat trick, but impressive nonetheless. All music is used under Creative Commons. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again in two weeks for the next episode of The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. The exchange at olamnet.com.